So hi, uh, this is uh, Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast, and now kind of a video cast about beginnings, the beginnings of new companies, new ideas in uh, business, sometimes even a little look at the future. And uh, and today we're here to talk about future of food, and maybe the present of food, uh, with Christoph Jenny of Planted in uh, Switzerland making uh, alternative forms of meat that have nothing to do with animals. Christoph, great to, uh, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so it's lovely. So uh, I think you're sitting there at your facility and, and we were there in uh, uh, Switzerland just a couple of weeks ago. It's a heck of a, a facility. You guys really uh, have grown. It's big, it's efficient, it's modern, it's kind of stunning. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about just what it is you guys do and uh, and where you're at in your development? Yeah, um, let's maybe uh, go back to the beginning. And I mean, we founded the company uh, with the desire to do better meat. So I think a lot of people aspire today to be like meat. Um, but I think actually uh, we thought uh, that's not good enough. We want to be obviously be better because that's when people start uh, adopting something massively. So if you're just similar or the same as something, uh, this willingness to switch is much lower. So we identified four key dimensions we want to be better in. Obviously, first and foremost is taste. So I think if uh, something doesn't taste good, uh, you don't want to buy it again. Maybe buy it one time, but you don't buy it again. Um, second, uh, obviously, the CO2 footprint or, or environmental API overall. I think if, if, if we not massively better uh, than the status quo, then we don't accomplish what we set out to do. Third is price. We want to have impact. So for us, it was very important in the beginning. We want to work with technology um, that has the ability to scale to uh, a global rollout. So not just some key European cities and US cities, but uh, beyond that. So we have to massively um, decrease production costs and uh, hit subsidized meat or even come below that. And last but not least, and often forgotten, I think is health. So health, I think, was especially from the early brands in the space, I think they maybe communicated a little bit about protein, but then that was it. But I think research today uh, shows one thing that we don't understand yet enough of what we eat. And so we actually put considerable resources in understanding what we should eat and what the macro nutritional and the micro nutritional profile should look like. And this uh, endeavor then led to founding the company. Um, I think we're still curious today to learn on how we optimize in all of these four dimensions. And so we needed a great space to make this come to life because we understood very early from the beginning, we want to have uh, research, product development, and then production in one space, uh, allowing us to uh, iterate on these dimensions more like a software company uh, rather than the typical co-manufacturing uh, approach uh, that you see in the space. So we set out to uh, open this facility and we actually found the facility just outside of Zurich uh, that is home to probably one of the first meat alternative solutions uh, originally aimed for poor factory, factory uh, workers um, to give them a broth that is made from plants rather than meat, so less expensive at the time. Mm. And uh, so this facility uh, has also some heritage with it and I think a commitment to uh, also deliver food, not just for some elitist uh, part uh, of the population, but uh, broader 
sense also um, the blue color uh, workers and we very much fell in love with that and so are super happy to have this facility. Got it. Now, and we should probably say to folks, so the initial product was chicken, basically. Yes. And um, right from the beginning, distributed pretty broadly in Switzerland and now beyond Switzerland. Why chicken? And and having decided on chicken, when I first came across you guys, you were very young. You were already in restaurants and stuff. So how did you get the product to the point that it could be in restaurants quickly? And, and why chicken? And, and why some of those early uh, choices and accomplishments that uh, we felt set you guys apart. So uh, I think for us, it, we, we had talked a lot in the beginning uh, about how we want to launch sort of uh, the technology that we have. So I think two simple routes appear, obviously. Uh, one is you do it yourself. Second, um, you license it eventually to somebody and somebody else uses the your technology. Um, I think we all identified or we all uh, loved iterations and love to work with product. And I think that sort of forces you down, down road, route one, that is basically launching the product yourself and then having the ability to get a lot of feedback and um, iterate on it and get better and better. So we decided we want to hit the market very fast, get feedback, and then based on this, um, develop further um, chicken was very appealing to us uh, from the health aspect as the, the macronutrients of chicken uh, are quite good or better uh, than red meat, for example. So we thought it's a good product. I think also our technology lends itself very well to it. And I think that third dimension of that chicken uh, is growing very fast in our geography as well as globally, um, but sort of, sort of made it for an interesting start. Why restaurants? We wanted to work with professionals. Uh, I once uh, was told by somebody very smart uh, who's in the beverage space, um, you need to get 100 people, 100 people, 100 uh, bars uh, to buy your beverage, uh, or in this case, 100 restaurants uh, to buy your product. And then you have um, A, some awareness, and B, you get a lot of insights. And I think that was most important for us to work with professionals, get their feedback, and iterate on that. And it seems to have worked. I mean, you guys have gotten big fast. So you just raised uh, a significant round. In fact, I think you're uh, just uh, announcing it. So talk to folks about that a little bit. So where are you at right now in terms of scale and how much you're delivering and uh, uh, raise and, and, and that kind of thing? Yeah. In the beginning, as this podcast is called, Podcast is called Inception. Uh, let's start at Inception. Right. So at the beginning, we were able to do about 30 kilograms per hour. Now we're about uh, one, one and a half tons per hour uh, at this current facility. To date, uh, we raised something just under 50 million. And with the raise now uh, of about 70 million, takes us uh, above sort of the 100 million in total funding. Um, it will enable us to grow uh, fast. Um, as you said, I think for us, it was important to win in the markets we are. We are the market leader here in Switzerland, and now we're setting out to become the market leader uh, in all the European geographies that we're entering markets. Uh, typically, we focus on broader uh, availability. So we not just aim for a supermarket shelf, but um, we try to balance this out very much on, let's say, three or four key channels. We have one is direct to consumer. So we're one of the very, very few that sells direct to consumer. This is amazing for feedback. Um, we have automated surveys where we get a lot of data um, on, on consumer feedback. Secondly, uh, we go into restaurants, uh, as you pointed out. 
The third is convenience. So in the supermarkets, for example, we also try to be in the front of the store. Uh, in Europe, you typically have like salads and stuff uh, that are pre-made. We like to be there as well. Uh, so more like making sure that there's a high availability. And then last but not least, obviously, in the shelf of the retail. And uh, through that, we aim to break out of this typical, like you see alternative proteins take 1% to 3% market share of total protein. And we try to have sort of through broader uh, touch points with the consumers uh, com combined with a very strong product offering to break out of them. Got it. Now, when you guys started, well, it was you guys who started it. Uh, there are actually four of you, I think. And yeah. you know, this isn't the like lone uh, entrepreneur with a dream. And, and your background is not in food. It's in consulting and that kind of thing. So I'm curious, how did you come to this uh, at your day job way back then, uh, KPMG, whatever, uh, thinking, you know, this is fine, but I'd much rather do that. And and how did you and your co-founders, because you guys really are like the Beatles. I mean, there's one of you that's good at each aspect of uh, being in the band. Uh, how did you guys get together uh, to decide to do this together? Yeah, so my last job actually was um, running an investment firm. I uh, invested into restaurant brands, uh, amongst other things. So we got to, uh, to try uh, some of the uh, early movers, especially in the US, as the footprint uh, is quite heavy on the restaurant side in the US. Um, got to try them. Didn't pick up one because of a lot of the additives uh, and the other for a GMO component. And then one of my best friends back then is uh, also in the US a lot. Uh, he lived there, actually, Pascal. Um, he complained mm -hmm. to me why we don't have any alternative proteins in our restaurants, um, knowing sort of what I believe in. And I told him sort of what I told here very quickly, sort of, hey, look, we didn't find the right product yet. And he was like, cool, then let's chat to my cousin. Uh, he's a PhD mm -hmm. in food science, and they do amazing stuff. And uh, then his cousin, Lucas, came along uh, with his friend, Eric, with some very, very amazing prototypes, uh, I think in terms of fibrosity, something I've never seen before. Um, and on the other side, it was super clean. So it, back then it was based in sunflower, only sunflower and the cleanest product I've ever seen uh, in this space. And so I was amazed by it that that was technically possible. And yeah, it intrigued me. And I think it sort of then posed the opportunity. Uh, I felt it was, as you said, a very strong team, a very complementary team. And um, what really stood out to me is sort of this dedication to get to the perfect product. So not saying like this is the final product, but we will we'll continue and probably will always continue to find a better uh, product. And uh, this constant um, uh, journey of improvement intrigues me. That's how we found it. Got it. Now, with four of you as co-founders, is this like they're dukes and you're king? In other words, that everybody's important, but in the end, somebody's got to make a decision. Do you do everything uh, uh, as a group? Because it is, it has to be a little bit of an interesting dynamic to have uh, four of you uh, so foundational to the business. Yeah, I think funny enough, I mean, we're also a little bit inspired. There are a couple of Swiss companies uh, that live sort of like um, model uh, similar to ours. Uh, I think one term often is used is holacracy, um, where you have very flat um, teams. And I think we, we were sort of naturally drawn to it um, as we all have expertise in different areas. And that was this like divide and conquer um, that fell a lot. And so I think we have still do have a daily check-ins every morning where we align on key priorities, what is happening, 
Um, more on the execution side to make sure that we're mostly heard as one voice. I think it's very important in such a model that there's like a very clear voice and it's not mine or co-founders, um, but that it's like the company's voice of, of what we want to do. And I think if you if you can manage that, it has a lot of uh, opportunities, let's say. You can put a lot of trust in other teams as well because there is not this sort of hierarchical um, management style, but it's a management style by thought leaders, by like, true leaders, let's say level five leaders, if you want. And that worked out thus far for us really well. So it's not sort of that there needs to be a king uh, and then you have a couple of dukes, mm -hmm. but rather just divide and conquer and um, having a clear strategy, executing against it and uh, trusting that your uh, co-founders are also now like very important functions. Like we don't uh, officially have any functions under us anymore. So there's a CFO, there's um, commercial people who run things um, so that we actually have people who can step up and that we are the one constant that tries to align the strategy and the people, but then we actually have a very flat hierarchy, making sure we focus on bringing the right people together. So we have a lot, the most important meetings in our companies are not run by us anymore. So for example, the NPD meeting, other people run it and we just may try to make sure that the individual wheels uh, turn with each other and not uh, counter. Got it. Um, really interesting. And, and as you say, it is more common in Switzerland as a concept maybe than, uh, than elsewhere. I'm curious, do you view starting in Switzerland as a benefit, as something you have to overcome because you're starting in a small market as opposed to, you know, being in New Jersey and having New York next door uh, and uh, a historical, uh, uh, you know, accident that's going to be irrelevant to, to the ultimate outcome of the company? How do you view the Swiss character of, of your origin? Yeah, I think it's a curse and a blessing, um, if you want to put it on that, because you have a very small home market. So right. you need to go abroad very, very fast. I think a lot of people don't understand that. So they are asking, why do you go already abroad? Or sort of like ask also about growth. I think we grew always very, very fast. Um, but I think we would have grown even, even faster if we would have had a larger home market. But what it does, um, and I think what is very healthy, uh, is it forces you to go abroad and to understand that a market abroad has different necessities. And I think uh, looking at some of the plant-based brands that went out very, very early, it seemed to be one size fits all. And I think as a Swiss person, you have the understanding that this is not the case. Um, you understand that like we even speak in this very small country, we speak four different languages. So you understand that and it's different cultures. So you understand that uh, you need to, to spend a lot of time talking to people, talking in the market and understanding what is actually the customer need. And great if it aligns with your product, but maybe you also find out that uh, different regions have different product features or different taste profiles, different taste buds. And uh, to identifying that and being able to deliver a product that, like you don't want to develop a different product for each geography or each region, but to find that common denominator and get the messaging and all of that right as well, I think ultimately leads to some very strong uh, Swiss companies that are then globally very, very successful. But they, to make that initial step outside of your country very, very early and very, very fast is obviously, uh, I think, very, very challenging. So I think it's both a blessing and a curse. Got it. So you're talking about pan-European. So you're in several countries now, and it sounds like Europe as a whole is the next milestone for you guys. So how do you deal with that 
rather significant cultural diversity um, and market diversity in Europe. And then when and how to the U.S.? Is the U.S. next or is Asia next? And the U.S. is, you know, uh, uh, you wait until the uh, very last moment to uh, come ashore uh, uh, against the big market or what? So I think, I mean, we're today selling in Switzerland, uh, Germany, Austria, France, uh, starting in Italy uh, and the UK. So for us, in terms of execution, we always look that we can execute easy. And uh, for that, we would like still sell out of uh, our factory here in Switzerland. So the next step is a larger uh, factory um, that is ideally positioned between the protein sources. Uh, we have mostly Western European countries. And then the respective markets, which are Germany and the UK, uh, which are rather large. So um, that's the next step. Um, we have, I think, a very strong margin profile. And we try to protect it. We will protect it at uh, any cost. And so we won't be shipping both from a financial and ecological point from Switzerland to the US. Um, so we will need uh, to build uh, local supply chains. We believe in that very strongly. So that step uh, would be well planned. And uh, uh, obviously now uh, with the funding, we do have a little bit of time to think about how we best. Again, thinking about that. So if we were talking a year from now, I mean, you guys have changed a lot in the last year and, and really have all this has happened in just a very short time. What do you think we'll be talking about a year from now? Where do you think the company will be uh, a year from now and what will be top of mind for you? Yeah, so I think with uh, three key uh themes that we want to win um one is copy paste our uh, footprint so we have a very optimized production already uh, switzerland you have a very high wages so we're highly automated uh, this should help us greatly to open up the next factory and replicate uh, the footprint uh, this will be for the first time where we will operate two uh, production facilities um, i think it would be a great challenge for us to conquer and we highly believe that we solve it through automation and make sure that uh, the quality in multiple locations uh, is, is the same. I think this will be very important. The second thing is we're launching a new product portfolio um, of whole cuts. So until now, it was mostly pieces, chicken pieces, pork pieces, kebab pieces. Um, the schnitzel, sort of the last thing we launched, uh, is, is the first step to that whole cut. But uh, we're getting ready to launch a chicken breast in uh, this September. And um, that will be a key milestone for us being able to scale, let's say, a completely new product line. Thus far, it was sort of in the same product family. And launching now a completely new product line uh, would, again, be a huge uh, undertaking for us and uh, one of the big proof points we're looking uh, to accomplish in the next year. And then we want uh, to have uh, another market with the same dominance uh, we have as in Switzerland. And that's in terms of geography, the next expansion step. Got it. So uh, step by step toward uh, total world domination. I believe ultimately it will, um, I think not, maybe not brand wise, but if you look at the technology stack, I think it gets expense or increasingly expensive with more complex products and complex products not in the sense of ingredients, but how complex the piece of meat that you bite into is. And right. uh, to monetize that technological development, so about the lab I'm sitting here, it's about uh, 30 people. We have another lab in total. The whole R&D and development group is about 60, 65 people. 
um, to monetize that, um, I think it will uh, sort of converge into maybe a couple of technologies that will win. Um, ours is uh, based very strongly around structuring and fermentation. So yes, I do believe there is some kind of a race uh, towards, let's say, dominating technologies. I don't believe it's one, but it will be converging for sure on the technology side. Mm. Well, we have in common the belief that food supplies need to be uh, decoupled from their traditional sources. So if we're talking about essentially replacing fundamentals of the human food supply, the potential scale is beyond vast. Um, so uh, the companies that lead here have the potential to be very important and very large and uh, uh, very valuable. Yes, and I think also valuable to this, like the, the contribution to society, because I think it's a very like the, the opportunity is big, but also the problem is really, really big and very, very acute. Um, we're going here through an incredible period of drought. Um, right. With this amazing thing in Europe, we have a long history. So our ancestors uh, made these uh, stones and they're called hunger stones. Uh, they're way, way, way low in the river. And it's basically like a warning sign. If they start to appear, people will suffer. So, and we saw a lot, like, we, I think we've never seen as many of these, uh, like across multiple rivers, across multiple countries here in Europe. So I think the writing is on the wall or in the river, if you want. And so I think also we don't have unlimited time to solve the problem right. of food. Right. We agree, which is why um, we're uh, interested in the category, committed to the category and investors in uh, you. So uh, maybe that's as good a point to leave it as any. So uh, uh, working to uh, make sure that uh, humans have access to good and healthy food, even if uh, the situation around us is changing. Uh, let's do it again same time next year and see uh, how it has uh, all played out uh, between uh, now and then. Looking forward to it, Mike. Appreciate it. Same here. Thanks very much.